Wes and uh, Penny Chapel have uh, arrived. They're in this country on a, what do they call it? A furlough from their mission field in Papua New Guinea. So I'd like to have Wes come up here and, and give, me, give us a few uh, minutes of uh, an update on what's going on. Is he... Okay. <laughs> okay, he's getting uh, mic'd up, I guess. But uh, yeah, so the chapels are here for a year uh, in the States before heading back. And it uh, be interesting to hear what Wes wants to share with us. Come on up, Wes. It's great to have you with us. Wes Chapel, everyone. Thanks. I'm Wes. That's my wife, Penny. And we have five children. There's only two boys with us tonight. We have four boys all together. Two of them are older, and they're both down in South Carolina. One of them just got married, and the other one's going to be getting married in March. Um, and three younger ones, Jay's, Jay's age and down. So... We've worked in uh, Papua New Guinea since 2006, and we moved there and with just our two older boys at that time, and served on the base for two years, and then we moved in to work with the Menya people in, in a remote location in Papua New Guinea. So we were about 10 years learning their culture and their language to get us 10 years of studying how they communicate, how they speak, develop an alphabet for them, writing Bible lessons before we could present the gospel to them. And that happened in 2018. And since then, we've been just working with the church, teaching them, um, raising up leaders to teach when, when we're away and just to grow them, we're missionaries are trying to work themselves out of a job. Not as soon as possible, but giving things into their hands as soon as we can. So um, these last two, two and a half years we were over there, uh, we were able to translate and teach the whole book of Romans. We were about almost two years teaching the book of Romans, like two two times a week. And that was just amazing. It's an amazing book. It was so good for them. They know Romans inside and out now, and um, still growing in it. And then we were able to translate Mark and Ephesians also. So the completed, what we have completed and printed and in their hands right now, I can show you afterwards if you want to, the copies that they're holding. We have about almost 30% of the New Testament in their hands. So that, that's huge. Obviously, God's Word is important. And it's the, the most important thing God's Word is. Um, but for some reason, He chooses to use humans, too. <laughs> Which baffles my mind sometimes. But um, So we're, we're there to, now as much as possible, turn things over, put things into their hands. Uh, we have... Five, uh, five Bible teachers now, and they're all, each one of those guys are training somebody underneath them, raising somebody up. And so, translation and just raising them up as teachers was a big part of what we did the last two and a half years. So, we're looking forward to um, seeing completed New Testament, hopefully within the next 10 years, is going to be our goal. And so, as I move more towards um, just w focusing on translation as the Menya Bible teachers are taking the work into their hands, doing the teaching, doing the discipling, and growing the church in that way. It's, it's been amazing. It's been a great, um, it was a great two and a half years there. We had to, uh, for some schooling needs, we had to, the last year we had to locate out at our support base so that our kids could be in school and get the help they needed there. Um, so I was making trips back and forth, and so that was just a little uh, boost 
to even put more things into their hands. Now they're completely running the literacy program on their own. Here, it's like when you want to teach somebody, you can be like, hey, you know what, read these couple chapters in John before we get together. Well, there we have to be like, hey, let me teach you how to read. And then you can read these things. There's a lot, of, a lot more steps involved. Um, but God's been gracious and it's been helping us. And uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was a great, um, great two and a half years back there. The, uh, we had one of our Bible teachers just passed away. Uh, he got sick. He's a young guy. And he was the most dynamic Bible teacher that we had. His name was Oppie. And um, when he passed away, it was kind of just like right when we were getting ready to leave Papua New Guinea and come back to the States for our son's wedding. And it was just kind of a shock. You know, you kind of find yourself saying, Lord, what are you doing? <laughs> and then you check yourself right away. And um, I was just worried about how it was going to shake up the church, the Menya church there. And going back in, I, I snuck back in one last time. It wasn't planned. And um, it was so encouraging. Here I was worrying about them because when there's death, you always have to blame it on sorcery or something else. And they weren't doing that. And they were getting actually accused by unbelievers of maybe you guys did it since you're not accusing anybody. So I was just wanted to go back in and encourage them and strengthen them. And we got back in there and they were just kind of like, why did you come back in? You didn't have to come back in. Did you think we were going to fall away? <laughs> And they had actually stood up, uh, Oppie's father uh, was stood up against everybody who was wanting to come and do sorcery to try to heal Oppie before and even help him with, you know, what they were going to do afterwards, the culture side of things. And they, their, their phrase was like, God is sovereign, this is his will. And the unbelieving world just could not accept that. They couldn't understand how they could say that when someone they loved died. Um, but that was, that was encouraging for me to go back and see them standing strong and knowing that they're standing strong now. Um, this was a really unexpected pop-in tonight. We, we didn't even know for sure we were going to be around. So we're going to come back sometime um, after the new year. We'll give you guys a full update with pictures and um, we'll get in more in-depth then. So just, yeah, thank you guys for... Uh, supporting us and helping us to be there and to minister to the Menya people. Um, we have a little church of about 100, 150 people. They're kind of spread out, but the Menya tribe is 50,000 people. So we're just getting to the point where when we go back, the church, the, the leaders in the church are praying about where they're going to be taking the gospel to next. So um, we'll give you some of that update next time we come, give you guys a a full presentation, but thank you guys for supporting us and praying for us. We right, appreciate thank it. Thank you, Wes, for that update. And uh, yes. we look forward to seeing you and Penny and the kids uh, next uh, next time you're in through, okay. through here. Uh, keep them in your prayers, uh, doing tremendous work, tremendous challenges that he has uh, that they're facing over there in New Guinea. Okay, well, before we begin our, our lesson tonight, Let's see if I can get this up here. Hey, how about that? Before we start uh, tonight, let's make sure we're in fellowship with God. Uh, we need to be clean when we approach God. The Old Testament has a very strenuous uh, ritual for, for ceremonial cleansing. But for us, all we have to do is apply 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That way the Holy Spirit can then take what we learn and apply it to us and so that we can uh, glorify God with it. So I'll give you a few moments of silent prayer if you need it, uh, and then I'll open in prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the opportunity we have to come before you, to study your word that you have provided. As Wes mentioned, we have the written word that we can go to whenever we have problems and, and uh, challenges facing us. Father, we know you are there with us. And Father, we would just pray that you will bless this time, that we will be uh, 
enriched and edified through the work of the Holy Spirit as we learn from your word what you would have us do on how to love one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we're doing a study on the use of the Greek preposition alelon, or pronoun alelon, and we finished Romans last time. Uh, so we're going to move on to the occurrences of this Greek word in uh, Corinthians and Galatians. Hopefully we'll get through that tonight. Looking forward to it. Um, this is the third episode of our, our study. And so for those like Wes, you haven't been here before, but uh, the title from the series comes from uh, the new command that Jesus gave to his disciples to love one another. That's uh, found in the Upper Room Discourse. There are many facets of love, but here this word is, again, an all-encompassing term. But we're going to look at this series about how we can the individual uses of this word, how we define love and apply it to church growth and unification. Because that's, that's what our pastor was after, that our church would grow closer together uh, and love one another. So why this study? Well, I kind of mentioned it already. Uh, but we're not a finished product here at Preston City Bible Church. We still have a lot of growth to do. We have a lot of maturing and uh, unifying in our spiritual walk with the Lord. So we need to continue to love one another and apply the things that we're learning from the Word. And also, uh, you know, strangers come in, newcomers, from time to time, and they need to be uh, taught and to uh, be made aware of, of what we're doing here, what we're all about. Um, what we want to do tonight is look at an example in the scriptures that can uh, should teach us what we should be doing, how we should be behaving towards one another. And that passage is found in uh, Luke chapter 10. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, very familiar passage uh, demonstrating uh, what Jesus was trying to teach uh, his his disciples and the crowds in, uh, in Judea during his ministry. Uh, so let's start here in uh, verse 25 of chapter 10. We read, And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to, Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, and here's the story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. Now, if you are a first century Jew and you're hearing that a Samaritan, well, that's going to perk your ears up because a Jews did not get along well with the Samaritans, and they despised them. But uh, so Jesus definitely picks this uh, illustration to make his point. Verse 34, and, and the Samaritan came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now, the word in the Greek translated mercy there is eleos. It's a noun. It means mercy, pity, compassion. But when you consider all that this man did for a stranger who was beaten and left for half dead, 
when you think about all that he did, that, that, that transcends what we would normally consider merciful. It's a lot more than that. And that's what uh, this, this passage teaches us. And as church members, when we are dealing with fellow believers, we should have at least that much mercy, pity, and compassion, helping him not just uh, physically, but caring for him well after he had left and, and was on his own, he, he was going to come back and check on him. So that's one thing as, as believers in a church family that we can also do is to uh, continue to love one another well after the initial act is done. Okay. So this study, I come up with a, a, a summary verse. It's John fifteen twelve. I mentioned it already. This is my commandment, Jesus tells his apostles, the disciples up in the upper room, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And we defined how Jesus loves when he says, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Now, Jesus was about to do that. He was going to go to the cross. But that's his definition of how he defines how he was going to love them. And we know that love can be enabled in us. We have uh, the ability to do that, as we read in First Corinthians or Philippians four thirteen, where Jesus says, or Paul says, "I can do all things through Him, Christ, who strengthens me." So whenever you're thinking, "Well, I can't do it; it's too much," you can do it. And I'm sure if you call on the Holy Spirit uh, to empower you, you can do more than you ever believed. And I hope that you do get those opportunities in your ministries that you will trust God and ask him to provide because God does provide. All right, so last, last time from our uh, occurrences of a lay loan in, in Romans, we learned that uh, we wanted to love one another and be the first to do so. That's Romans 12.10. Don't wait for the other person to love first. No, you go ahead, be the first one to love, and don't hold back. Don't restrain yourself that, oh, I don't want to love him too much. Yes, you do. Love him, love him as much as you can when you have the opportunity. Uh, Romans twelve sixteen. we, we learn that uh, to consider one another your equal. There is no hierarchy in the body of Christ. We're all one in Christ. So remember that. Consider one another your equal. You're no better. They're no better than you. Romans 13, 8, Jesus commanded to love one another, but... Uh, we have an obligation. There's an obligation we have to love one another, as Jesus said in, uh, in John's upper room, the Upper Room Discourse. Uh, we also learned, don't judge one another. That's Romans 14, 13. And not only that, but don't put anything in your brother's way that's going to make him stumble. And then also, seek to do that which builds others up. That's Romans 14, 19, because if you do this, there's going to be a reward. Uh, something's going to come back for you, reciprocal, uh, for you as well. And uh, for me, that's, uh, that's higher ground, the hymn Higher Ground I, I mentioned last time. That, that is a great hymn because whoever, the singer is not content to be at one level, but is continually striving upward to higher ground to do more to glorify God and to serve Christ. Now, we also had more lessons from last time, not just those five, but be like-minded with one another. This is Romans 15, 5, and it's in a context of persevering and encouraging and is something to pray to God for. We don't normally or naturally always have that ability to be like-minded with one another, but that's what we're being commanded in Romans 15, 5. Romans 15, 7, uh, be forgiving and accepting of one another. Now, that's not easy. I mean, there's always challenges and, and differences we have with other people, even other believers. But that doesn't mean we can't be forgiving and accepting of them in their Christian walk. Uh, number eight, admonish one another. Now, this is, can be tough. It's tough to call somebody out or admonish them, but we are called to do that when necessary, and that's hard. And it's not being judgmental always, but it's also something that's tough, and most of us do find it 
very challenging to be able to admonish a fellow believer, especially if we're not as experienced or mature as, as the other person. But we all make mistakes. We all sin. We all have a sin nature trying to burst out, keep it under wraps, and when somebody does cross the line, point it out. How are, you gonna, how are they going to get restored to fellowship if they are unaware of their, of their, uh, their sins? Okay, number nine, this was the last one. Be happy when you see each other. I mean, we live in a world and a, and a culture where people are very fickle and very uh, superficial. But as believers, when we come to church, we should always be happy to see one another. Reach out. Be excited. Because the, the culture we live in is, is corrupt and decaying. And uh, this is like a sanctuary from the world. At least it should be. Okay, so now let's begin uh, tonight's lesson. We're going to start 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. This is going to be a very sometimes controversial uh, passage. But as I said last time, we're going to, when we see this word alelon uh, in various uh, cases, uh, in the Greek, we're, I'm going to translate it as one another. Uh, the New American Standard doesn't always do that. But we're going to be, begin this evening. This is, uh, has some, it's not without some controversy. The main thrust of this verse is not for everyone. If you know the verse, we're going to get to it uh, in a second. Uh, but it's a principle, the overall principle does apply to all of us. And so let's... Uh, let me read that. 1 Corinthians 7, 5 says, Do not deprive one another, and this is in the context of Paul explaining marriage. Do not deprive one another except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now remember the Galatians 5, we learn that one of the fruits of the Spirit, or one of the parts of the fruit of the Spirit is uh, self-control. So it's not without some controversy. Uh, and, and like I said, it comes in the middle of, of when the Corinthians are asking him questions, and he's responding to the questions they ask him, uh, questions that most of them are not part of this, uh, this study. But what I wanted to point out tonight is what God teaches about a man and a woman and marriage. So if you'll turn real quick to Genesis chapter 1, we'll go right back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. You don't have to turn if you can, but I'll read it. Chapter 1, verse 27, we, we see that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then we read in, in chapter 2, Two twenty-two says the Lord fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. So we all know this story. And then in verse 24, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So this is God's design. One man, one woman. And that's being challenged and has been challenged for, for years, but uh, it's, it's picking up momentum in our day. Uh, but this is God's design. And, and we live in a culture that's constantly trying to expand God's plan of a husband and wife, a man and a woman in marriage. So a couple of weeks ago, when Loring was talking first hour, he mentioned that he had friends who no longer considered this to be exclusive, a man and a woman in marriage. And very disappointing for him to, to have friends that uh, eschewed God's clear teaching on the subject. Um, but the Bible, you know, there's many passages that forbid unions between others 
other than a married man, a man and a woman. The married couple represents, in a way, a restoration of completeness. As I was thinking about this, Eve was formed out of Adam's body, but yet once they're married, they become one again. Isn't that interesting how God makes that so perfect? You know, God didn't take Adam's rib out and make another man. And Adam was not a woman and took the material, the rib out, and make another woman. No, God made a man first, and out of the man, he created the woman. So, and that was the design. To, to, they were going to help each other uh, to subdue the earth and to be fruitful and multiply. So, that's a, 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 a use of the term alley alone in, in the New Testament. And I want to go through each and every one of them. Uh, but it doesn't really, it's not necessarily about the church, but it is about loving one another and not depriving one another when, you, when one has a need. And I think that's what we can take away from this study anyway, that, uh, and, and for the church growth and building up of the church, that we don't want to deprive one another when we see a, an obvious need. We want to make sure that that need is met. All right, moving on. 1 Corinthians 619. Wait a minute, that's not right. It's not 619. Is it 819? Let me see if I can find that. Oh no, it is 619. Yeah, maybe I'm right. Oh, this was this is still on talking about uh, the marriage. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? So the context for six nineteen and six twenty is is the flesh fleshly uh, pursuits of the Corinthians. And Paul is trying to correct them here. Here we read how God values our bodies after we have trusted Christ as our Savior. He sends the Holy Spirit to indwell us for the purpose of empowering us to serve him and to do those good works which he's prepared in advance for us. Verse 20. For you have been bought with a price. Christ bought you. He paid for your sins. Therefore glorify God in your body. That's his... uh, Message to the Corinthians. So, and, and what a contrast that is, a contrast, that the Corinthians were living a very carnal existence, and now Paul has to teach them to honor God with their bodies, not to desecrate that. And so getting back to 7.5, do not deprive one another. Uh, there is a time for everything. And when we look at that word deprive, the Greek word apostorete, It's a present active imperative. This is a command. Do not do this. And it means to despoil, defraud, steal, or deprive. So that's a serious problem. When you look at the the terms, the definition of the word, that's very serious to, to not deprive one another. And consider this, that Satan himself is involved in this challenge for us. He's named specifically at the end of the verse. So we all remember what happened to King David and Bathsheba, there are challenges to our fidelity in marriage. Make sure you keep focused on Christ. Now, it doesn't say that Satan was directly involved in David's uh, situation there, but he was tempted and he failed. And so can we. We can fail. And many suffered because of David's sinful act. Okay, let's move on to the next occurrence of alone, and that's in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 33, where we read, So then, my brothers, and this is in the context of uh, the Lord's table, and this is something that we do, when you are coming together to eat, wait for one another and partake together, as our pastor will say. 
That is important. We want to wait for one another. Why? Why do we want to wait? Well, because waiting shows respect. And we're not in a rush during the communion table to eat. That's not the point. The point is to remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so the, the word wait, translated wait, I got it in the blue there. It's a present middle path or passive imperative. So you've got to be there. But it's still it's an imperative. It's a command. Second person plural meaning to wait until or remain until. And that's one thing we do, and I'm glad we do together uh, when we do serve communion. And we're going to do that this Sunday. Uh, so when, when we think about waiting for one another in a church setting, in a church group, well, there could be a lot of times where you might want to have to wait, whether it's entering the building, uh, selecting a place to sit down, uh, or just getting out of the parking lot if you're in a rush. Um, it, it, it's, it's beneficial to you to wait for one another. Patience is a part of the another part or another facet of the fruit of the Spirit that's being produced in us. And so we'll have plenty of opportunities to be patient in our lifetimes. I know uh, from my own experience, it, it can be uh, challenging at times, but patience does produce a sense of peace when you exercise it. Okay. Next, 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-five. And here we read, so that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same concern for one another. And again, this is in a passage relating to the distribution of spiritual gifts. We don't all have the same gift. And as Paul points out, in a body, not everybody's a foot, not everybody's a hand or an eye, but uh, there's diversity and that's what is beneficial, most beneficial to the body, uh, especially the body of Christ, is that we all have different gifts, but when we're not using them for the benefit of the growth of the body, well, then there's a challenge there. There's a concern. But we're supposed to have the same concern for one another here, and that's uh, the Greek word merimnosin. Merimnosi. And this is a present active subjunctive, third person plural because it's referring back to members but the members may or may not you know it's not a given it's not commanded to do this but it, it's saying that there is some doubt as whether you will obey this and do this but you're supposed to have concern for one another and we see this concern and, and I think back in Genesis chapter 17 if you want to turn there you can Genesis 17 this is the story of Abraham. And verse 15 of Genesis 17, it says, Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face, laughed, and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man a hundred years old? And will Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? So Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. This is a concern he has for Sarah, that she's going to have to go through childbirth at ninety years old. So his, his thinking is, well, we already have Ishmael here. May he stand before you so that Sarah doesn't have to go through a pregnancy. But God says, no, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, God says, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes and I will make him a great nation. So Abraham is concerned for Sarah, his wife, but he's also concerned for his son Ishmael, and God remembers that. He understands that, and he ends up blessing Ishmael. We don't really hear much about Ishmael because the line is through Isaac, and that's why 
He's just a, uh, a diversion. But this is showing Abraham had concern for, for his wife. We need to have concern for each other. In the church, we need to be concerned for one another. All right, and now Romans or 1 Corinthians 16.20. We did this similar verse, basically the same verse last time. All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. And as I pointed out, uh, greet is, is not in the present tense. It's not something we're supposed to do continuously. Kissing one another, no, it's, a, it's an aorist, a one-time deal thing. When you greet somebody, you greet them. Okay. That is all in 1 Corinthians. Moving on to 2 Corinthians. The only appearance of all alone in, in 2 Corinthians is at the end, and it's the same basic verse. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. So we've, I think we've seen that. This is now the third time, basically the same verse. Greet one another with a holy kiss. There's one more, and that's uh, coming up. We'll uh, see that one more time. Peter writes also a similar verse, and we'll get to that towards the end of this study. All right, so let's move on to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, there's four verses where this word appears. First was in verse 13. So let's look at that. Galatians 5, 13. It says, For you were called to freedom. Or, for you to freedom were called, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now here's something uh, different here. Serve one another. How many people would sign up to be a slave? Yeah, not many. But we are to serve one another. This is the Greek uh, word duluo. And it's another present active imperative, second person plural. So it means to be subjected, be a slave, or to perform the duties of a slave. And one of the greatest examples of this uh, is found in John 13. Let's quickly turn right back there. John 13 and verse 12. We see, so when Jesus had washed their feet, how many remember this story? What a great uh, illustration of, of serving, a teacher serving his students. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done for you or to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent them, sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. What a great illustration we have that Jesus takes off his clothes, wraps the towel around him, and goes and washes the feet of his disciples. Amazing. But that's the attitude we're called to have. Serve one another. And because we have that freedom, we have the freedom to do this, to serve one another, and we should be doing that. Now, Paul continues in verse 15. He says, whoops, let me get back there. But if you bite and devour one another, let's get there. But if one another you bite and you devour, see to it that by one another you are not consumed or destroyed. Again, this has the, the word, our word twice. Whoops. Twice. Uh, it appears in this verse. But I wanted to point out that that word, lepete, it's a present active imperative. Again, second person plural. It means to see, to look at, observe, or arrange to happen. So he's warning, this is more of a warning than, as well as a command to watch out, watch out. Because if you're doing these things of biting and devouring other believers, 
you better be watching out for them to return on you and destroy you. That's what, that's human nature. We're going to try to uh, get back, revenge, that kind of thing. So it's a warning not to hurt others so that you don't have to watch out yourself to be hurt by those seeking revenge. So as believers, we should also be looking out for one another, providing protection. Remember what Jacob did for his family. If you know the story in Genesis 33, uh, he was heading back to the, the promised land. He wanted to see his brother Esau that he had uh, tricked and deceived uh, those many years before. And so he hears a report, Esau's coming out to meet you, Jacob, with 400 men. And he was, uh, I'm sure, very afraid. But what, what does he do? He arranges his family in groups, and he, but he's in the front. He's in the front. He's taking charge. He's going to protect his family uh, as best he can and try to reason with his brother Esau. Now, God had softened Esau's heart, so he wasn't looking for revenge for Jacob deceiving him and, and stealing the birthright and all that, but, and the blessing. But it's a great example that Jacob did want to uh, protect his family and see to it that they weren't destroyed by another. Because he had been, you know, when you look at Jacob's life, his, his early life, he uh, was not the, the nicest guy or the nicest brother. Okay, going on to verse 17, Galatians 5, 17, we read, we read this. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things you want. Now, this isn't talking about church people or people at all, but it's talking about the battle that is raging spiritually between the Holy Spirit that's inside us and the flesh that we're still, that's still part of us. And it's a very terse statement of fact. It's not a command or exhortation. It's just a statement of fact that, hey, these two things, Two parties are warring against each other. Second half of the verse, uh, that you may not do the things you want, now that's referring to things done when the flesh wins. So when the flesh wins, that's something you didn't want to do. So make sure that you're uh, on the side of doing what God wants. And how do we do that? Uh, we stay in, in the Spirit. In fact, when you look at Galatians 5.17, if you read verse 16, Paul, Paul writes, but I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And then verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So he has this verse about the battle in the middle, but on the, both ends, he has teaching for us to stay walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. Great advice that we can always apply any time. And, and Paul says, because he mentions at the end there uh, about the law. Well, he does in the, in the, in the passage, uh, verse 18, you're not under the law. Because the law is what stirs us up to sin. That's where the temptation comes in. Like, like Paul himself says, I didn't know what it was to covet until the law said, do not covet. Then he wanted to covet. So... Uh, the law is not sin, but it does uh, stir up our flesh to sin sometimes. So that's why we have to be walking by the Spirit, not by the flesh. All right, verse, verse 26 of chapter 5. This is the last uh, verse in, uh, of, or occurrence of Halelon in, in Galatians 5.26. We read, Let us not become boastful, one another provoking, one another envying. And so it starts with a, what's called a subjunctive, but it's a hortatory subjunctive. It's an exhortation to do something. It's not, a, not an imperative, but it's with a negative. Do not become boastful. Do not do this. Do what? Become full of pride and arrogance, because that's what leads to boasting. And I'm sure we've heard tales from professional athletes, actors, actresses, uh, politicians, and we're going to hear more politicians in the next year, uh, making all kinds of boasts and bragging uh, that they're going to do this, they're going to do that. So get ready in 2024 for that. It's, it's already here, but you'll get more of it next year. But provoking and envying, uh, two participles, 
that these are the only uses of these uh, in, in, the, in the New Testament. It's very strange, but that's the vocabulary Paul used. All right, now, Galatians 6.2, we read, You, and that's used understood here, it's not in the, in the text, but bear the burdens of one another and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Bear the burdens. How many times have we been able to do that? How many times have we reached out to do just that? When we know somebody's struggling, challenged, and, and, and desperate, are we bearing that burden with them? You may be thinking, what about 1 Peter 5, 7, where it says, put our anxiety on Christ. So that kind of gives me an out. I don't have to do it because you're supposed to put your burdens on Christ because he cares for us. Well, yeah, you can do that. But also, as believers, we shouldn't be sitting idly by. For those we love, we should be attempting to help them bear their burden. So uh, 1, Peter 1, or 1 Peter 5, 7 doesn't absolve us from bearing one another's burdens because this is a command. The word bear is the Greek, bastadzo, it's a present active imperative. Again, a command meaning pick up, take up, carry, or bear. So bear the burdens of one another, thus fulfill the law of Christ. All right, so as we're running out of time here, lessons learned from tonight's episode. 1 Corinthians 7.5, don't deprive one another. Don't deprive one another. 1 Corinthians 11.33, wait for one another. In all areas, we need to wait and be patient with one another. Sometimes people try our patience. Big shock. Spoiler alert. We have to wait and be patient with one another. We are sinful creatures at times. Number three, be concerned for one another. That's 1 Corinthians 12.25. Because the goal is to have unity. We want to be united as a group of believers with members of each, of the, each member of the body. All right, so uh, the next one. Uh, be happy when you see one another. This is the holy kiss uh, verses, 1 Corinthians 16, 20 and 2 Corinthians 13, 12. You know, fellowship with the Lord and each other should always stir us up to good, good ideas, good thoughts, and happiness and joy. Serve one another. Galatians 5, 13. We have needs. Seek to find them in others and be gracious and help them. When someone wants you to help, offer your help. Go ahead, do it. If you need help, don't be afraid to ask. Sometimes our pride helps, hurts us in not getting others to help us when we should be asking them. How can they, how can they be helpful and, and obey this if we're not letting them know that we need assistance at times? Okay. And more lessons learned. Do not hurt one another. That's Galatians 5.15. It's kind of obvious. But if you're doing this, you have to be thinking, if you're biting and devouring, you have to be cons consistently thinking that, hey, uh, something's going to happen to me if I keep doing this, and that's going to render you ineffective in your ministry, and you won't be able to make disciples, which is what we're called to do. That's our mission. So don't, if you're doing those biting and devouring others, uh, you're not effective as a, as a disciple and an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Spirit versus the flesh, Galatians 5.17. Just remember, the, the battle's always going to be there, this side of the resurrection. Once we're resurrected, uh, sin will be uh, done away with in our flesh. But until then, uh, the only victory we can have is if we're walking by the Spirit. All the time. Not just now and then, because that's when we'll stumble. Uh, stay humble, eschew arrogance. That's uh, Galatians 5.26. There's no place for pride when we desire to imitate Jesus Christ. Jesus demonstrated humility all the time. So let the peace of Christ rule in your heart so you won't be worried about becoming arrogant or need to feel like you have to be arrogant. And let's see. Bear one another's burdens. That's uh, Galatians 6.2. Reach out. And, and offer your assistance, lighten the load for someone. That's what family members do for each other. Okay, let's see what else we got here. Thank you all for coming out for Wednesday evening prayer meeting. Uh, those of you that did, prayer is powerful, and, and that's where we can really connect with God and, and lay on him our concerns, our petitions. He hears, he listens, he acts. 
So come out and pray on Wednesday evenings. Now, that all being said, as we close tonight, I want to invite anyone and everyone who has not accepted Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior to let me share with you the good news. And I want to do this by reading a verse from John's Gospel. This is John's 4.25. This is the well-known passage of the, the Samaritan woman at the well. Here she says, verse 25, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will declare all things to us. Well, I want to let you know, friends, that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, did come. And he did, did declare all things to us that we need for salvation. What did he do? He went and died on the cross that paid the penalty for your, for your sins, for mine, for the sins of the world. And his last breath, he said, to telestai, which in the Greek means it is finished. The work is done. Salvation can now be freely offered to anyone who believes this, that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. It's that simple. Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. If you believe that, you have crossed over from death to life, from the kingdom of darkness to God's wonderful kingdom of light. So if you're unsure of your salvation, or if you're uncertain of your eternal destiny, we want you to make that oops, we want, want you to make that certain that you can trust what the Word of God tells us, that your eternal destiny can be made certain tonight by believing that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. We want to help you make sure you, you are confident in that. So if you have any questions that, please come see myself. Mike, any of the deacons, or Pastor Dave when he comes back. Because uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the message Paul gave to the Philippian jailer. And it is true as true today as it was then. Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. I hope you make that decision. Don't wait. Don't put it off. But if you need Christ, do it now. And uh, we'll, we'll be back here next time. And we're going to continue. It'll be episode four. We've done Romans, Corinthians, and Galatians. So we'll move on to the remaining epistles and go through them one at a time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the teaching you have provided to us that we can better understand how a church is to function, how a family here at Preston City Bible Church can do things to demonstrate our love for one another that we can serve one another, and all these many different facets and areas as we have opportunity, Father, and as they are made known to us. Help us not to shrink back. Help us to be, as you commanded Joshua, to be strong and courageous in sharing your love to, to not only one another, but to those who need to hear it, those who haven't accepted Christ yet as their Savior. We pray your blessing as we now depart uh, till the next time we are together. Bless the... Uh, this word tonight, that we can apply it and share it with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you all for coming.